Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. All right, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Olin Hyde. He's the CEO and founder of Lead Crunch. He has had two exits, five other ventures. He's been nominated for Entrepreneur of the Year three times in a row, Global AI Challenge winner, ranking number 35 on the Inc. 5000. Olin, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, man. It sounds impressive. I'm not sure you got the right guy here. Well, I'm pretty sure we did. We did our due diligence to ensure that you're legit and I see you in person. So at least on Zoom. So I think we're, I think we're doing good here. So you have a fantastic, um, you know, uh, just many, many things that you've done over your years. You've had made huge, huge impacts. Uh, but, you know, we want to kind of go into essentially, you know, how you got into this role because you hear these things very often, you know, um, with entrepreneurs, all these amazing things they've done. And, um, but most people don't, uh, understand like how you got there, you know, and I think it's really important to kind of go into the fact that we're all humans and, you know, anyone can, can, can do amazing things and solve big problems and, and make an impact. And, um, so Olin, where did you grow up? So, yeah, I, I grew up in Southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, which is not a place that's known for, uh, generating a lot of technology or, you know, it's, it's, uh, very depressed coal and steel town. The economy was falling apart. I'm old. So I graduated from high school in 1984 and the local economy had something like 30, 40% unemployment. So wow. I tried to get a job in a coal mine and couldn't Tried to get a job in a steel mill. Couldn't I actually went to Philadelphia and tried to get a job in the merchant Marine and couldn't. So failing all of those things, I took uh, the college entrance exam. And what do you know? Plan D, I got into college. Plan and, uh, actually, was a terrible student in high school, but when I got to college, I really enjoyed it. And uh, what do you know? Good things happened from there. Yeah, fantastic. So, so you, so you went to college. Where did you go? Where did you go to college at? I went to undergraduate at a school called Miami of Ohio, Miami okay. University. It's in Oxford, Ohio. It got lost. It's not in Florida. And then I did my graduate work here in San Diego at the University of California, San Diego. Fantastic. And what did you, uh, what did you end up like graduating in or what was your main uh, focus? You know, you know, it's really funny. My undergraduate degree, which is ancient history was actually a mathematical model of organizational buying behavior. Uh, that was my senior thesis. And it was a, it was a one year thesis project, uh, on a program that was called the school of interdisciplinary studies. They had mm -hmm. an Possibly long title. It was a Bachelor's of Philosophy. That's an extremely long title. Yeah, extremely long title. And uh, my focus in that program was mathematics, economics, and marketing. And little did I know that many years later, that thesis would actually be the basis for a startup. Wow. Um, along the way, I went and got a graduate degree in systems engineering, uh, really with a focus in artificial intelligence. That was my focus in in grad school. 
And what year was that? What's that? What year was that? I graduated there recently in 2014. Okay, 2014. I was like, dang, they were doing AI and like, <laughs> like, I wonder, what did they start doing with this? That's crazy. Well, AI goes back to really the beginning of computing. I mean, it wow. goes back a long way. And we've had AI around for a long time. Uh, there was something called the AI winter that happened in the 90s when none of it worked and all the promises failed. And there's been a couple really big breakthroughs in artificial intelligence that makes it real now. Uh, yeah. First, some of the math uh, has improved dramatically. There's been some mathematical discoveries that have helped a lot. And secondly, just sheer computing power. Uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. I like to say when artificial intelligence works, we call it software. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't work, we talk a lot about AI. And uh, right now, we've got some amazing technologies that all of us use all the time, from your Google search to your spam filter to your GPS navigation. All of those things are driven by some form of machine intelligence. And so what's interesting is, as we get into a field very quickly where we have to define what is intelligence, what is artificial intelligence, and oftentimes it gets into debates between the difference between machine learning and AI. Yeah, But what's really cool about the era that we're living in is we're in that transition, kind of like the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution probably started around the printing press. It took a while for the steam engine to come along and for the transition of society and the economy Mm -hmm. to go from animal-based energy, labor, to mechanical, harnessing mechanical power drove the Industrial Revolution. Well, now we're in the stage where artificial intelligence is here to amplify human intelligence. And we're a few big discoveries away from artificial intelligence becoming autonomic, meaning being able to run itself and possibly replacing uh, some forms of human intelligence. Yeah, that's, that's insane. I mean, I know that we're on that path. If we can definitely go, uh, go into that um, slightly as far as like maybe your timeline on thinking when that would happen. Uh, I did want to kind of branch off for just for a few on your first business ventures. So, you know, you had system and systems and engineering, you finished that in 2014. Did you, did you have a startup or did you do something after that? Yeah, well, I had many startups before that and some after that. So the very first startup, uh, I, I got a job out of college as an analyst at a strategy consulting firm, which oh. basically meant I made PowerPoints and worked on spreadsheets. And, uh, a big Japanese tire company, Bridgestone, bought Firestone, a big American tire company. And I was the kid they sent down into the basement to look at the real estate portfolio as they were merging these companies together. Mm. And my first startup came from an insight from that experience where I realized that all of these real corporate real estate records were not automated. And there was all kinds of bad things happening to corporate real estate departments. They were missing the opportunity to renew their leases. They were paying too much. They didn't weren't actually able to accurately predict and would get surprises when they would get a rent increase. They weren't able to predict all of their costs. And so my very first startup, I went to my boss and I said, hey, I think I can write some software that would enable us to automate all of this corporate real estate information. Nice. And he told me to shut up and go back to my desk and do my job. Wow. (laughs) So I went back to my desk. I wrote the software, quit my job, (laughs) 
<laughs> and that boss became one of my first customers. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. You're like, and what, what was great about that startup is that we sold 50 of the Fortune 100 within 18 months of product launch. Wow. It was crazy. The, the limitation to how fast we could sell it was how fast we could fly to a city and do an install. And so that must have really expanded real, you a lot. I'm sorry, what was that? That must have really expanded your, your mindset a lot during that process. It was a really wild ride. And uh, I started the company. We didn't take any external capital. And I had a couple business partners. And I learned a lot about myself. And actually, I got pushed out of business. I basically got fired by my business partners uh, because <laughs> I was such a terrible business partner myself. I think that they, they did the right decision. Yeah. They, paid, they paid me to go away. Yeah. And I learned a lot in that startup. I learned a lot about what it means to be a good partner. I learned a lot about how hard it is to scale a business. Um, I learned a lot about sales cycles and how difficult it is to, for at the time I was a 25 year old kid going to sell to 55 year old vice presidents of real estate and how to get past the door and get in there and make the sale. There was a lot of lessons learned on that. It was an incredible experience. Yeah. Sounds like it really just kind of paved the way for. Um, you know, your future startups and, and different things you did. So what was that company called? That company was called National Facilities Group. It got acquired by a company called Accruent. And Accruent is now the industry leader in real uh, corporate real estate software. Cool. So you had your exit, you know, you had a, you just kind of had equity, I'm sure, or whatever, right? And then you, that's fantastic. That was phenomenal. Showed a great learning experience. Uh, and then from there, what did you decide to do afterwards? Did you take a break or? Yeah, I decided to lose all my money. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. So the first thing I did was I traveled the world. Uh, I wound up uh, coming back and taking uh, some cor a corporate job that just was not uh, very satisfying. And I don't think I was a very good fit for it. Uh, now we would call the position I had a product manager. Uh, back then they called it, uh, you know, director of systems engineering, but it was really pro a product management role. And then I started a couple of businesses that didn't work and they didn't work because I didn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't have the right product market fit. Uh, and I think fundamentally I was needed to work on myself. So I traveled a lot. And when I came back from traveling, I uh, did some successful consulting work. Uh, again, mostly working with enterprises uh, around what I had really developed an expertise in was around databases and the application of, of database technology to solve problems. That eventually took me into the world of what was called business intelligence or analytics. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got my taste for AI. And the very first AI company I started was with a coworker. We were working at a custom software development shop. And we developed a little uh, technology that would enable us to find uh, what are called pump and dump schemes, where then uh, this is typically a problem that chief financial officers of small cap companies, their publicly traded companies have to deal with, is how to understand how the market perceives their stock and to understand if anyone's trying to manipulate the stock price. Wow. And so we developed this company, we, we, we had a couple of good customers, and uh, along came uh, his divorce. At the same time, someone offered to buy us really to get talent and get our customer base. 
And that was an exit. And that company that bought us was called AI1 out of uh, Zurich, Switzerland. And that got me a taste. I learned a lot about AI at AI1. And uh, I actually did my earn out, went to grad school. And then out of grad school, I started what became Lead Crunch. Fantastic. And when did you have your exit with, with AI1? That was in about 2011. Okay, cool. And so, so that's so it's interesting. You know, you have this weird transition here. You had 2014, where you did this other, uh, you know, yeah, systems engineering. That was after the AI one exit. Yeah. Okay. And then from there, so you so you tasted it in, in 20, 20, 2011, systems engineering. You're kind of on that path. You did a lot more um, schooling in that direction. So it was a, it was a focus. Why? What did you focus on AI so much? Is it just something that you personally intrigued in or did you maybe think that this was going to be part of the future and you know you wanted to be in like a kind of a, a great position in this kind of change i'm intrigued with how the human mind works how we make decisions and how we perceive the world i'm intrigued with how to solve problems the more vexing problem the more interested i am <clears throat> i am with it and i think that <clears throat> excuse me the reason i'm so interested in artificial intelligence is that it will define our future much in the way uh, the steam engine defined the future of the Industrial Revolution or how agriculture defined the future of society. Yeah, Artificial intelligence is one of those really big ideas that will change the world. After we have it, we can't go back to what we had before. And I want to be part of that, and I want to make sure that the way I'm a part of it really ennobles the human spirit and we're using artificial intelligence to better humanity. It's one of those Promethean technologies in that it can be used both for good or bad. And uh, I think it's a really important to have a full life and a full life means you solve hard problems, do, do sure. things that are challenging and, and artificial intelligence is a very challenging field to work in. Very challenging. It's, it reminds me, you know, of, you know, Elon Musk and Tesla, where he basically said, look, AI is coming, whether you like it or not. Right. And, you know, I want to be there so that way I can guide it in a, in a healthy way, you know, because it can go bad. And, you know, I don't want it to go bad. So you kind of have that same mentality on this, right? I think a lot of people share that uh, view. Uh, Elon Musk is obviously phenomenally successful. What he's done with AI with Tesla is just truly remarkable. Um, you know, it, once you drive a Tesla and put it on self-driving mode, you realize, wow, this is better than a human ever can be. Uh, and so I think that many people in the field want to see artificial intelligence used for good. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, we know that humans will oftentimes do things for their own personal advantage. And so we have to balance that. We have to, we have to be very self-aware of what we're doing and the unintended consequences of how these technologies will evolve. And uh, that's, I think, fortunately, a strong ethos within most of the AI community. Yeah, 100%. You know, I completely agree with you. And I'm sure many people do as well. Um, so, so let's go into, you know, after that exit, you know, and all those, you had two exits. Where did, where did Lead Crunch come in? Lead Crunch actually started off as a medical research company. Uh, technically successful market failure pivoted into uh, our technology being used by the military. We actually 
won a contract uh, with Lockheed Martin to provide targeting technology to the U.S. Navy. And we beat two big names. We beat Palantir and IBM Watson to win that account. Nice. And my co-founder and I just did not like working in the defense industry. It was just not who we are as people. A lot of regulations. I'm sure a lot of control, like, you know, all these different processes. It gets a little draining. Acronyms, meetings, (laughs) conference rooms. It just, it's, it's mind numbing. And so we pivoted uh, into where can we use a targeting technology in a highly scalable market that really addresses a big problem. And it was his idea to go into demand generation. And so what Lead Crunch does is we are a global business to business solution for companies to find their next customer. And so what we do is we curate the right audience of prospects. Those are the people that are most likely to buy from you. And then we engage engage that audience, each prospect, with the right content to get them on the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. And so unlike a lot of software companies, we actually sell a campaign more like an agency. When you buy a bucket of leads and we charge you X dollars per lead mm-hmm. as opposed to a subscription. And the reason is, is that those leads, our business model allows us to price according to the value of what we deliver. So, you know, some companies buy a lot and each lead is not worth very much. Others buy very little, but each lead is worth a whole lot. And so we vary our pricing based upon what we deliver. Mm-hmm. And you know, our company has grown revenues. We are uh, the second fastest growing marketing company in North America, according to Inc. Magazine. Uh, we grew our revenues more than 7,000% in the past three years. And now our customers, we have 500 enterprise customers that include household names like Microsoft, Google, Cisco, VMware, on and on and on. A lot of tech companies love us. But we also have a lot of companies that are not tech. We've done mm-hmm. work for logistics companies and uh, specialty chemical companies. Pretty much anybody that has a complex sale, in other words, it's hard to find a customer, and a company that has a mature marketing model is a good fit for us. Very interesting. Yeah, so let's let's maybe dive into that real quick. Let's say, you know, so my first business was uh, a car wash company, right? So we built that mobile car wash. I didn't have a lot of, you know, capital funding in the beginning. It was just like, I just want to learn business. And pretty, it's pretty much the easiest business to start. Uh, you know, it's a great side hustle. Almost anyone can do it. Uh, so it was, a great, it was a great way to learn the ropes in business, right? Yeah. And then eventually, you know, after reading the E-Myth from Michael Gerber, you know, um, I was like, okay, you know, I needed to, I was, I was almost through burnout. You know, we were kept on scaling and scaling, but then I, I just could not duplicate myself. So after reading that book, you know, I decided to create, you know, a franchise model with it and then expand it where, you know, we partnered with some pretty phenomenal entrepreneurs that supported it. Uh, and we turned it into a car wash business in a box. And so the thing is my customer or the person that I'm looking for in that for that business is very, very specific. You know, it's like a, it's like this entrepreneur that's like trying to, you know, grow. He's trying to get out of working for a job and, you know, he wants an opportunity to, to 
you know, to do it. And he's like, you know, he's maybe he's, can, he can hustle. You know, he's got good energy, you know, he's younger. So how would lead crunch possibly help me get that prospect? It would not be a fit for us. Okay. So we work principally with enterprises. Okay. Our smallest customers have about 200 or so employees. Um, so we typically work for companies that spend millions of dollars a year on services like ours. Um, we did start off originally uh, with a mass market uh, product for small, medium-sized businesses, and that failed. Uh, we mm. found that it, it didn't have, uh, weren't able to keep customers happy. Uh, it was a very transactional business, and so what we want to build is a global B two B solution that uses artificial intelligence to enable companies to optimize their supply chains. Okay, so, so you have a certain like customer base, essentially 200 employees, and then what's your minimum customers, usually customer count to be able to work with you? So our customers, uh, you're, you're asking, what are you asking what is our ideal customer profile? Yeah, kind of like that. So that way, you know, the audience can understand, you know, if, you know, their company is a good fit to work with Lee Crunch. Sure. Our, our best customers are people that have at least 50 of their own best customers that we can generate a model. So the okay. way we work is we take our customers' best customers, and then we find lookalikes to them. Right. And so we take 50, all we need is the names and the URLs for their 50 best customers. And then we generate a market analysis that shows them what is their total available market of lookalikes. And then from that, they say, this is, we want to get a hundred more customers. Can you generate a hundred more leads for us out of that population? So our best customers typically have what are called account-based marketing or ABM lists that they already have identified some of their uh, ideal targets. And we help, find things that their ABM list might be missing. And we also quantify uh, what is the value of opportunities that they have missed. And our granular level of detailed data allows us to provide sales and marketing teams with information that is 99.5% accurate. So they know exactly who to call, what the title is, how to reach them, what they're interested in, and why they're a good fit. That's fantastic. It's really amazing. What kind of, what are some success stories that you've had, like from certain companies you've worked with that have you know accelerated their B two B growth or their their B two C growth? It's funny. I, so many are running through my mind. One of my favorites is a telecommunications company. They sell voice over internet services, which is a fairly crowded market. But it's interesting that it has very little market penetration. And the thing about uh, VoIP services, it, and that, that would, you know, you could think of uh, Ring Central as an example. Once you go with Ring Central, you ain't changing, but only about 7% of the market has gone into this direction. There's still a lot of people that are still uh, using older technologies for communication. Mm -hmm. And our customer came to us and said, Hey, we only want to sell to companies with more than 200 people. And we said, Wait a minute. Let's look at your data. And the data showed us that the key buying signal that we detected was that their best customers had a high 
degree of communi- of communication needs on their team. So the proportion of their of their best of their customers people that were using communication services was quite high. For example, their best customers had a lot of sales and customer success and customer service people but very few engineers as a proportion of their their employee count. So what we did is said, look, why don't you try an experiment and sell to this list of small and medium-sized businesses that you think are too small, but we think they spend more in telecommunication services than a lot of your large, so a lot of these targets that you're going after. We increased their conversion rate 8x within three months. That's insanity. They found an entirely new and untapped market that all of their competitors were ignoring. So it's almost like utilizing AI to kind of find that blue ocean. You know, when you're when you're a wonderful way to describe it, because the AI actually can help you find that product market fit. As long as you have enough of the signal of who is most likely to buy as measured by real paying customers where it doesn't work is where people guess and say, ah, trust me, I know who my ideal customer will be. I don't have them yet, but I know who they will be. We oftentimes find that people. don't know what they don't know. And those that guesswork does not end in happy stories. Right. What so this is like a standard like Facebook marketing campaign with like analytics from that. Would that would be that would suffice? Yeah. Oh. We use a lot of what's called intent data as well. So you know Mark, Facebook or Bombor or some of these other platforms, Google can give you intent data of like who's searching for you and and we can use that and amplify it. So we can amplify that into a lookalike audience. Uh, but yeah, Facebook data is not as good as the core truth, the ground truth. Who was your last best customer? Who did you sell to yesterday? That is much more truthful than who searched for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Super cool, dude. I mean, that's a, that's amazing. It sounds like there's a lot of uh, a lot of potential and every company would uh, would like to 8x their their revenue by hitting a hitting some a blue ocean that they would never be able to see before utilizing the AI with LeapCrunch. Uh, so a couple things uh, with the with the different ways you've been able to create revenue within LeapCrunch is it, so it's essentially you know acquiring very large companies, helping them you know accelerate their growth through AI. Was there any other um, is there is, what's the what's the standard way of creating revenue? Is like a monthly basis or a yearly? basis or quarterly kind of, or is it, you said per lead. So you're saying a per person that you're going to come in or per client that you're bringing, you're charging based upon, you know, what kind of uh, revenue that they're developing with that customer, correct? Yeah. So typically, you know, somebody like HPE or Oracle, who are both very good customers of ours, they'll come in and they'll say, okay, we need to generate demand for our cloud services platform. Can you do that? Sure, let's take a list of your best customers and we're going to find lookalikes to those or bring us your ABM list and we'll find a way of engaging, segmenting that list into areas of, of interest so that the we can take the content, the white papers, the case studies, the best practices guides from Oracle and place them in the right audiences. And that's a pretty hard thing to do. Uh, it's something that we oftentimes work with uh, advertising agencies to do that. We oftentimes partner with the ad agency to do that. 
But a typical order for us will be something like $100,000 uh, to generate a campaign which would last maybe three months. And our customers typically buy from us on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis. And the way we measure our success is our customer success. And we measure that by do they keep coming back and buying more? Yeah. I mean, turn 100000 into 800000 I think they'd keep on coming back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we, we actually measure how much they buy from us. And that typically grows pretty substantially every quarter. Typically Love grows it. about 12. If you buy a dollar from me this quarter, you're going to buy about a dollar 12 next quarter. Yeah. I mean, 7,000% growth is, yeah, that's, that is, that's quite phenomenal. Uh, so last thing we want to talk about in the podcast is the pandemic and kind of how business has changed, you know, this year, there's been some massive changes overall you know, globally, what have you seen as far as the enterprises that are working with you um, as, you know, in, in regards to AI and lead generation and, and all these, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's probably increased. My guess would be that it's gotten, you gotten more data, more, more people are bought purchasing online. So, you know, is, is that, how is, how is it going? It's been a phenomenal impact to almost every sector of the economy. If, and I encourage the audience to go use our free COVID impact score, which is actually an artificial intelligence tool. You can go to our website and there's a little on the top little corner, it says free tools, click on that. One of them is the COVID impact score. And that will tell the audience how the pandemic is affecting your customers hmm. in a lot of different dimensions. And so we see industries just being turned on top of their heads. Wow. For us, candidly, it was pretty bad at the beginning of the pandemic. We saw budgets getting shut down, uh, orders getting canceled. It was doom and gloom. I went to our April, right? box <laughs> and had five bankruptcy notices in one week uh, from our customers. Past couple months have turned around. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of boom time right now. And that's principally because large enterprises are buying from us. So big tech, uh, before we had a lot of medium and smaller size companies. Now our customer base is largely just big enterprises and they're spending money because they see an opportunity to capture the market. Uh, we've benefited from the cancellation of events. So, you know, marketing departments used to spend a lot of money on conferences. Well, the pandemic has ended that. So that money has to go somewhere and it goes to us. So we actually have an entire product line to help companies fill their webinars. We do what we call cost per registration. So if you're doing a webinar on to, to promote your company, we can fill an audience for that. Fantastic. Yeah. So you, you, you essentially created new product lines based upon the, what your customers were requesting. Correct. That's, yeah. You got it's been a rough year. We, we did, we, we cut costs. Unfortunately, we did layoffs, which I feel terrible about. Uh, but it's was necessary to align our cost structure to what we thought the market was going to do. And the market was far worse in uh, April and May than we thought. And in uh, July and August, it has started to improve dramatically. And we're, we're back to hiring back people now. Yeah, very good. Uh, that's one thing you mentioned was was really I think it's a it's a it's a kind of a it's a hot point uh, with people right now. I think is that a lot of these smaller enterprises, you know, you got seven bankruptcies, right? 
you have all this stuff that happened and then these larger enterprises are kind of like kind of eating up the the smaller ones right so it's like the yeah. big fish are winning and the mm -hmm. small fishes i mean i heard that over 20 percent of small businesses you know have just you know or, or just lost lost revenue or right. or they or standard small businesses have lost like 30 30 percent of revenue 40 percent of revenue and then these larger companies like amazon walmart target you know these even even like uh fast food restaurants have like have had a hundred percent increase in 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 profit and yeah. i think it's just very uh unfortunate you know there's there's 2000 plus restaurants that have gone out of business in California. These, these are just like horrible things. If you don't feel like this pandemic has really just kind of destroyed small business in a many, many ways and made these larger enterprises and big corporate companies even wealthier. Yeah. I think that the pandemic has been the great accelerator. Uh, the underlying social trends that were social and technology trends that were happening before the pandemic simply got accelerated by the pandemic. For example, uh, telemedicine uh, suddenly became a reality almost overnight. Um, the social bifurcation between the haves and the have-nots has been amplified and extended by, by the um, pandemic because uh, clearly the top end of the economy is not hurting. Look at the stock market. And a million, on fire, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Never before, in my experience, has the uh, reality of Main Street been so different, so disconnected to the valuation of Wall. Yeah, the rich and the poor, the gap that that is ever expanding right now at a crazy rate, which is insane. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be changes that happen to society because of that, and I think artificial intelligence will be a big part of that. I think that we have to understand that jobs that go away don't come back. You know, we're never going to have a million coal miners again. Mm -hmm. Coal miners will be replaced by robots because robots don't die. They're not alive. And coal mining is a very dangerous job. Uh, and I think that if you look at manufacturing, actually, I'm quite bullish on the future of America, and I think that America has a great future in front of us. We're going through a dark time right now, but I believe the smart application of technology, the smart application of public policy coming together is an opportunity for us to create a better economy in the future than what we had before. But right now, we are going through a lot of pain, a lot of people are suffering, and that's something that we should all take quite seriously. Uh, we have to get through the pandemic and the pandemic is deadly. And it's something that we have to take very seriously. Um, it's something that our company was very early to shut down and go into lockdown. So we locked down on March, we made the decision on March 7th, we locked down on March 8th. And that included travel ban for our employees because the you know, most important thing for me is our employee safety. Uh, and health. And so mm -hmm. I think that the pandemic has had a lot of changes. Uh, again, go to leadcrunch.com, free uh, tools, COVID impact score, and you can see how your customer base, what, you know, how much your customer base is suffering from the forces of this pandemic. Yeah, I'm going to check that out myself. Do you have any recommendations? You know, we're coming to the end of our show. Do you have any recommendations for people or, or entrepreneurs, CEOs? people that are running their companies 
and advice that you have for them just to kind of, you know, maybe accelerate their growth or, or any, you know, ways that they can continue to move past this dark time and go into something more of that brighter future, any kind of focus at all or anything like that? Yeah, I'll just try to win it down to two ideas. The first is, you know, let's start with a quote from Winston Churchill, that success is nothing more than going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Have a lot of enthusiasm. You know, I think that the journey is more important than the destination. And my journey has been one of just a lot of failures. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of enthusiasm and success is really getting up one more time. And the second idea is success is going to look different for each person. I'm really motivated by some of the great stories that come out of athletics and great athletes, the Michael Jordans, the Muhammad Ali's, these are people that understand how to play the game a little different than anyone else. Wayne Gretzky went to where the puck will be. Uh, And I think that everyone needs to find their own superpower and play the game that really takes advantages of our own weaknesses. You know, play the game in a way that really harnesses our own power, not by trying to be the best at everything or follow what other people have done, but find your own way that really plays to your own uniqueness. And I think if you do those two things, a lot of enthusiasm, play to your uniqueness, you'll have an interesting life. That's phenomenal advice. Probably some of the the best that we've had on the show. So um, yeah, guys, I definitely take a, take a a look at lead crunch, go do that COVID test. Um, Keep at it. Keep persevering. You know, uh, Olin, it was fantastic, you know, having you on the show today and, you know, just uh, to talk about your amazing journey, all the successes that you've had. Uh, I really hope that lead crunch continues to grow. I'm sure it will. And if anyone else wants to utilize, uh, you know, lead crunch and growing their company, what's the standard process of getting hold of you guys? Leadcrunch.com. If you fill out a form, we will get in touch with you. And of course, you can always reach me at Olin at leadcrunch.com. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Olin. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And hopefully we'll have you on the show a little bit later on this year and, and, uh, and wish you all the best of success. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.